Today is our, our final day as a church looking through the, Paul's letters to the church in Thessalonica. And like Paul, uh, I'm having to have to give this message from a distance because I have somehow contracted hand, foot, and mouth disease, which I thought was something that only um, toddlers got, and I now know it is not. Um, so I'm here at, at my parents' house where we've been staying, and uh, I get to deliver this message from a distance. Um, and normally, I'll say this, normally I would... I would pause for laughter after my funny jokes, like that one I just made, right? Um, but I, I don't know how to do that well in this context, so I'm going to have these like awkwardly long pauses probably throughout the sermon, and, and I'm relying on you to fill that space, okay? So I'm really relying on, depending on what service you're watching this in, uh, I'm relying on the Joanne Watanabe's or the Sharon Campos, or the J.P. Combs, or, you know, the, the Dave Davenports to carry through that um, I'm telling jokes. So please, I know last week when Bill preached, he tried to tell some jokes, uh, and, and we did not laugh. Um, please, please somebody laugh. That's all I'm asking. But uh, we've spent now about 10 weeks going through these letters that, that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica. And what they ha- we've been thinking about what they have to tell us about living with eternity in mind. And today we come to the last chapter of those two letters to, to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And throughout the letters, Paul emphasized these themes of eternity, of the return of Jesus, of this living with eternity in mind. But right here at the end, uh, he changes his focus a little bit. Things take a, a bit of a shift. Rather than a big finish about how Jesus is coming back, he turns now his attention to the, to the here and the now in front of us. And, and this final focus that Paul gives us, that Paul gave, was basically, now what? Now what are we supposed to do? What should the Thessalonians do as they live with eternity in mind? And Paul's going to make clear for us, I think, that the now what is doing the work, is going to be doing the work of seeing the message of the Lord go out into the world. And so we're going to look together in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. And this is what it says. It says, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored, just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. Look right here at the start. He says, as for other matters. As for other matters, Paul makes it clear. He made it clear. He's shifting the focus. He's shifting the focus and he goes right into talking about the message of the Lord. And it's spread. He says, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. 
We're going to stop here for a second because it's important for us to see this uh, through the right lens because it says Paul commanded the Thessalonians to keep away from every believer who is idle and doesn't live according to the teaching they received. And, And that's a bold command. And Paul then appealed to his own example. He said, I worked hard when I was with you, right? Follow my example. Do what I did. But then Paul makes this strange little comment. He says, we did this not because we did not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. Paul believed he had the right not to work, right? Paul believed he had the right to rely on the community. Paul believed he had that right, but he didn't claim it for himself. Why? Because Paul was focused on the flourishing of the gospel, What Paul cared about most deeply was the message of the Lord going out into the world wherever he was. And Paul was worried that this issue of idleness in this community would be a threat to the gospel. That it would be a problem, a barrier for the gospel to go out. That people were not doing the work that God had called them to, that they needed to do in order for the gospel to flourish. And so it's not that necessarily they were doing anything wrong in the sense that they, they'd broken a rule or that they'd done something questionable that was obviously wrong and ethically wrong. It, it's that they were, they were hurting the gospel. It's that they were putting the gospel at risk. You can think of it for a second like a a child who's been given a math problem, right? Jude, my son, who's four years old, you ask him what five minus four is, and what's he going to do? He's going to put up five fingers, and he's going to take away one, two, three, four, and he's probably going to declare the answer is one. Okay, he's not wrong. He hasn't done anything wrong. He's gone about it right. He's gotten the correct answer, but you're still not going to make him your accountant. Right? He, he's still not going to be entrusted with taking care of, of all of your, your finances and managing all the numbers and doing all the math involved in it. And, and in the same sort of way, Paul was worried about the practical way that the gospel would flourish. How could the gospel flourish if the Thessalonians were unwilling to do the work that God had called them to do? And so Paul emphasizes the importance. He commands them. He commands them to not be idle to do this work because the gospel depends on it. The message of the Lord depends on it. And here in verse 11, he continues. He says, we hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They're not busy. They're busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. I, Paul, write this reading in my own hand, which is the distinguishing mark in all my letters. This is how I write, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Paul made this challenge to the Thessalonians clear. Get to work. 
basically go and do what what you're supposed to be doing to do what you're supposed to do with eternity in mind and for us as we end this series i hope you've been convinced at least in part that that there's more to life than just the the here and now to to see the world around you and the promises god has made you to appreciate that that things are broken and there is hurt and there is suffering that will not last forever but we have to ask ourselves in light of all of that now what and now it's time for us to go with eternity in mind not because we need to earn our way into eternity not because we need to win some conflict with the world not because we need to secure god's love for ourselves in some way but because the the eternal message of jesus the eternal message of Jesus that Paul shifts his focus to, it, it requires us to go out and do this work. For it to flourish in the world around us, in our community, it requires us to be willing to go and to do the work that we've been called to. And in what can feel like an entire chapter on idleness, I think Paul gave us some pretty clear, two clear ideas to think about. What is it we should do? The first thing is that we should pray. Right? Paul gives us clear instructions to pray and then to do the hard work that we've been called to. If we want to be people who see the message of Jesus go out into the world, transforming lives, inviting people into lives that, that Jesus has for them, then we have to go with eternity in mind. We have to pray. We have to do the hard work laid out before us. Uh, the message of Jesus ha- has been entrusted to us. And this is a, a relatively common theme throughout the epistles, throughout the Pauline epistles especially. Second Corinthians 5 is one of my favorite passages. And Paul, it's from Paul, and it's filled with these same themes. And in verses 14 and 15, Paul declares this, the message of Jesus. He says that, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. One has died for all. Jesus has died for each of us. And we are compelled now by Christ's love. Compelled by Christ's love. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed us to the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God has been at work reconciling the world to himself in Jesus. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Right? We're therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Jesus came to earth to reconcile us to God. Jesus suffered and died on the cross to reconcile us to God. Jesus was raised on the third day to reconcile us to God. And he has committed to us the message of that reconciliation. That reconciliation. So when Paul effectively tells us to go with eternity in mind, we go with this message and his specific instructions, right, are to pray for this message that, in the, that we would pray for him, that, that the Thessalonians would pray for him and that this message would flourish. 
And so we have to be people who pray for the message of Jesus. We pray that the message of Jesus uh, would flourish, that we would be delivered from evil, that we would be protected in the face of danger. And as Paul prayed over the Thessalonians in verse 5, we pray that God would direct us, that he would direct us by his spirit so that we can experience God's love and Christ's perseverance. And it doesn't have to be prayer for, for big, grandiose things. Jay, it can be. But it doesn't have to be. I, this past week, I prayed for a friend who struggles with arthritis, especially in our hands. And my prayer was just that God would grant her a relief from, from the pain for the day, that, that she could come to the end of the day and recognize that she didn't feel that pain and she could thank God for it. It's not a big 180-degree life-changing thing. It's a moment, uh, an opportunity that I think God could bless someone with, that God's message could go out and continue to flourish because of moments like this where we see the goodness and the grace of God around us. Right? It's not just ask, and it's not just asking about God to do things for us. Right? It's about being attentive and listening to God and His Spirit. When Paul talked about being directed into God's love and Christ's perseverance, this has to be, at least in part, what he was talking about. That when we pray for the message of Jesus to flourish, we start to see things differently. Uh, we see doors that God is opening up for us. We start to see uh, callings on our lives in new ways for us to follow. We feel the challenge of a person or a place that God wants us to take the message. And it's when we're willing to listen to what God has for us and then do those things that we experience God's grace in new and incredible ways, in some of the fullest ways, because we go from doing things for God to doing things with God. It's in those moments that we go from trying to accomplish things for God to doing things with God the way that Adam and Eve were supposed to as they walked through the garden with him. And we have this opportunity to walk alongside God when we listen to what he has for us, what he's called us to do. And so what we're going to do right now uh, is a little bit different. We're going to stop in the middle of a sermon. We don't normally do that, I know, but today we're going to. Uh, and the team is going to lead a song here in a second. And as they do, I want to invite you to pray. Uh, to pray during the song, and you can stand and worship and sing and, and dance in the aisles, whatever it is you feel led to do, but I want to invite you at least to pray, uh, to be, as you praise God, to be praying for the people who come to mind. Just be praying that the message of the Lord would flourish in their lives. Be praying that the message of the Lord would flourish around you, that God who is faithful and good and keeps his promises and listens to us would be at work in these ways as Paul invited us to uh, in this letter. So let's take a moment to worship and pray together. Prayer is a key part of going with eternity in mind, but it can't only be prayer. Prayer is an incredible thing. It's an amazing thing that God takes the time to listen to us and hear from us. It's incredible that God speaks to us and calls us and invites us into things. But uh, Miroslav Volf, who's a, a philosopher, a theologian, said it best, I think. He said, there's something deeply hypocritical about praying for a problem you are unwilling to resolve. If we're praying all the time, 
praying for the message of Jesus even, but we're unwilling, we're not willing to do anything for the message of Jesus ourselves, we're missing it. Then it turns out we're just the, the idle people that Paul was talking about in 2 Thessalonians 3. We have to be willing to work for the message of Jesus. Look at verses 12 through 14 for a second, right? Paul says, we hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They're not busy, they're busy bodies. Some people we, such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Honestly, this can seem like some of the clearest stuff you find in all the Pauline epistles, right? But before we go further, I just want to make one thing explicitly clear. Uh, Needing help and being idle are are not the same thing. Uh, Paul commanded the Thessalonians to settle down and earn the food they ate. Uh, And for centuries, this passage has been used to to clobber people who are in need of assistance, who are are financially downtrodden, who, who need help. And please, please, please don't hear that as what Paul is saying, right? The church in Acts sold everything to support each other. Paul took collections from all the various churches he planted to to send back to Jerusalem and support the people there who were struggling financially. If you are in need of support or you are struggling and and need help, uh, that does not mean that Paul's talking about you right now, okay? In fact, the opposite. What Paul seems to be concerned about is people who who are relying on this support when they don't need to. Uh, What Paul instructed the Thessalonians to do was to do the work that was required of them, the work that God had called them to, not just to be busy bodies, but to be busy with this work, to to get the work done, to, to get to work and make the things happen that God had called them to do, because there was work to be done. And, and there's work for us to do today. There's work to be done today. For us as, as a church, after spending 10 weeks looking at these letters, it's time for us to go with eternity in mind. Uh, if you come here on Sundays and to get recharged and filled up with God, I- I'm so glad. I'm really genuinely glad that, that you're here, but now it's time to go. If you say you're a follower of Jesus and you're trying to figure out uh, what it looks like to follow after him, that's great. It's time to go. If you feel like God has been putting someone or something on your heart uh, and now you've been fighting it for whatever reason, okay, it's time for you to go. Jesus' last words to his disciples on the earth were, go and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then he said, surely I will be with you until the end of the age. And Luke tells us in Acts that just before these words, Jesus gave them instructions. He said to them, wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit, and once you receive it, go. He says, wait in this moment. And at that time, there were about 120 believers, 120 believers, followers of Jesus, okay? I can't see it right now, but my guess is that in this room, between who's in this room right now and who's watching online, it's about 120 people, maybe a little bit more. There's 120 believers in this community, and they're all gathered together waiting for the Spirit. They're waiting for the Spirit, and one day, uh, the Spirit came. 
And after it, Peter preached his famous sermon at Pentecost, right, where he says that your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, uh, your, your, young, your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. It's this incredible, this incredible recounting of the prophet Joel. And he called the listeners there that day to repent and be baptized. And Luke recounted to us that 3,000 people were added to their number that day. Those roughly 3,120 believers began to live lives that were different. They lived with eternity in mind. They were devoted to the apostles' teachings. They broke bread together. They prayed together. They sold their possessions and left no one in need. And the Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved. These people decided to go with eternity in mind in ways that still serve as examples for us. Ananias was told by God to go to Paul when he was still Saul and share with him the message of Jesus. And with a little protesting, Ananias went. He did it, putting his own life at risk because he decided he was going to live with eternity in mind. He was going to go with eternity in mind. Paul went to the Thessalonians on his missionary journey, and he said to them, go, and they went. Paul's saying to us today, go, and we have to decide whether we're going to go or not. That's up to you. But what I'm confident of is that if we go with eternity in mind, if we're people who are committed to prayer, if we're people who are committed to doing the hard work the message of Jesus requires of us, incredible things will happen. The great revivals of history aren't marked by the greatest theologians or the greatest thinkers or the greatest saints. They're marked by people who are willing to go. God used 120 disciples to change the world. Imagine what God could do with 600 disciples in Huntington Beach and Fountain Valley. Imagine what would happen if we heard God calling us to go and bless our 8 to 15 by inviting them over for dinner this week, and we did it. Imagine what would happen if we heard God calling us to cover a mortgage payment for a struggling neighbor or someone in our church without expecting something in return, and we did it. Imagine what would happen if we heard God calling us to, to give an extra car we don't use to someone who needs a car to get to work and pick up their kids from school, and we did it. Honestly, imagine that for a second. If we heard God calling us to invite a friend to stay the night at our house each week because we know that their home life is a mess and they need a chance to get away, to switch careers despite the risks uh, to something we feel God has been preparing for us to do, uh, to buy and drop off gas cards in someone's mailbox because God has put them on our hearts, to choose a different college or to transfer to a different college because there's something that, there that God has for us. And we did those things. It might seem crazy, but that's what living with eternity in mind looks like. That's going with eternity in mind. It's listening for God to tell us what to do, where to go, and then doing it and going there. It might seem crazy, but that's faith. It's trusting that God is there, that he's there to catch us on the other side, that we have to let go of what we're holding on to and trust that he will have us, that there's something better for us, that there's someone more waiting for us. 
I don't know what God is calling you to. I don't know exactly what would happen if you did it. But what I do know is that if you go with eternity in mind, if we listen for what God is inviting us into and we do the work God is calling us to, something incredible would happen. And selfishly, I want to see it. I want to be a part of it. I want to experience the grace of God in such profound ways that that people in Huntington Beach and Fountain Valley and all the places we might go would look at us and say there's something different there. They listen to God. They do what God tells them to do. And so as we end this morning, I want us to do things a a little bit different than usual. I want us to take some time uh, to listen to listen for God's still small voice, to listen for God's spirit uh, to, to speak to us. And so I want us to take some time to invite God to speak to us through his spirit. And so Mitch is going to lead us in a moment. We can wait for the spirit to speak to us just as Jesus' disciples did 2,000 years ago. And Let's hear where God is calling us. Let's listen for where God is calling us. Let's worship God together. And then... Let's go. Let's go with eternity in mind and do what God has called us to do. And let's see what comes of it. Let's see what God has for us in it.